terms of how to teach today's firefighters and how to teach the firefighters from the 40s and 50s and, and continuing on through, we have had to kind of adapt and overcome so that we still get the same successful goal of, again, protecting life and property, extinguishing the fire and having everybody come home safely. How do we achieve that goal? Enchanted Sky Media. 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 From Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that realistic training scenarios, and sometimes the lack of them, are my thing. Learning the fundamentals is always the key to building further skills. So it's important to get focused on training for bread and butter operations, those common skills that sometimes are taken for granted. How do we develop a program that covers this ground when we're working with multiple different generations who all learn differently? Today, we're talking with Lieutenant Stephen Ryan about how to accomplish this. Steve's been with the FDNY for 17 years. He's also the training coordinator and former captain of the Roslyn Volunteer Fire Department. He's a certified New York State fire instructor and a hazmat tech level one. And he's a PIO with the FDNY Incident Management Team. And Steve Ryan joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's start by defining a term. What are the bread and butter operations for most departments? So in all honesty, the bread and butter, without a doubt, for every fire department in the country is to, is to save lives and property, extinguish the fire, get everybody home safely. In terms of what we do and how we succeed in that goal, uh, has kind of changed over the years. So in terms of how to teach today's firefighters and how to teach the firefighters from the 40s and 50s and, and continuing on through, we have had to kind of adapt and overcome so that we still get the same successful goal of, again, protecting life and property, extinguishing the fire and having everybody come home safely. How do we achieve that goal in reality? So, So the whole idea from... From years ago, fire service was training to fail. So if anybody was a firefighter and started even within the last, you know, 10, 15 years or, or from that point behind us, you would be thrown into a basement of your firehouse. You'd be a blacked out mask. You'd have no idea where you were. And the conditions really didn't make sense. I understand I've been in, in, in significant amount of fires and it's not always a blacked out scenario. So there's different ways of doing that. And we were basically trained to fail to see how we would react. Right. That type of teaching, that type of mentality doesn't really work that well anymore. So now we try to train to succeed. So maybe we start in baby steps and we develop that firefighter, that young firefighter uh, into something a little bit better because we've trained them to succeed throughout the way. Just like when you start playing a sport, I grew up playing ice hockey and still play to this day. I learned to skate. That was my first thing. I didn't just put on the pads, go out there and start taking slap shots. I learned to skate. 
I learned the next step and the next step, and you kind of went your way through, and I got a pretty successful career in ice hockey because of that learning method. What you're saying then is that we're looking at more realistic training now than they used to do typically in the past? The whole idea is that the training that we did in the past and the training ideas that we had work for the generation that we had, right? So we have to understand that in today's fire service, we can have a member in the volunteer service that starts at about 17. They'll continue through, and we may have members that are into their 70s who are still great assets to the fire service. They're still in great shape because they've been working out and taking care of their bodies, and they can still contribute. So we, we really go all the way from baby boomers up to Generation Z. The baby boomers that we have, they were born after the Depression. Most of them worked before OSHA. They're very hardworking. Right? They, they, their work is never quite complete. They, they were based on a relationship or a family where their parents never really retired. But to them, retirement kind of means new activities. So they're going to play golf. They're going to do other things that their parents never really did. They, they didn't really understand computers, and they still might not. And th- again, this is a generalization. This is not everybody. Uh, for example, my father was a baby boomer, and the man was a logical engineer and knows everything there is to know about computers and helped me make my house a smart house. <laughs> so it's not every person you know, in that generation. But these baby boomers, they really appreciate a team re- approach, but they expect everybody in that team to have the same work ethic. They don't expect one person to fail on that team. Um, so when I first entered the fire service, you know, over 20 years ago, these were my mentors. These were people that had second jobs, all of them. You know, they, they were raised where they had the second job and they provide for their family. Now, with the Generation X, which I am, you know, we start with a work-life balance. I don't have a second job. My wife works a very good job, so do I. And one of us is usually home with the children. Our children are 9 and 13, and one of us is usually kind of home. We, as Generation X, we're, we're ranging from you know, mid-50s, 54 to about 39 years old. We want to contribute to the neighborhood rather than the world. We want to make sure that, that, that our neighborhood is good, right? We were kind of the first latchkey kids. You know, we had, like I said, that, that, that good work-life balance. Education is important, but we had limited intrusion by our parents, right? So we had a good education, but our parents didn't really hover over us like the next generation where they're more of helicopter parents. We were very creative and flexible, and we kind of always explored the why. And so for firefighting, that's great. We want to know why does this happen? Why is this working? The baby boomers kind of took it and said, we told you this is it, and they accept every word, you know, because our, our mentors told us that. We're kind of asking that question why, but in a good way. Because we want to figure it out, and if anything, kind of transition it and make it a little bit better. The computers for us, and that's why I'm mentioning a lot about computers and technology, because we're going to discuss that later, hopefully, in terms of how computers affect our lives, right? So uh, the, the other two generations we have are the millennials, the Generation Y. And this is not to put anybody down, and I know that the millennials have a bad stigma to them, but they're actually very helpful and they're very good in the fire service. They have a 24-7 experience. They think this world is 24-7. They're very tech savvy. They're very good at multitasking. And it's all stems from the smartphones and everything that they have. The downfall is they were, and again, this is a a generalization, it's not every single person, but they were nurtured by helicopter parents, right? So these are parents that hovered overhead, especially for education, right? That was a big thing for them. So their parents kind of helped them with their education a little bit more than than the generations prior. So then how do we design training programs that give the older members 
something while we're also teaching the current generation at the same time. So let me just finish real quick with this, and, and I'm going to jump into that because I think this is going to help answer that, right? So this Generation Y, these millennials, they integrate technology and they integrate their opportunity to learn the technology. The last one is a Generation Z. We don't have a lot of them yet, but it's great to see what they're doing. Generation Z is phenomenal because they can actually make computers. So the millennials understand them very well, but the Gen Z kind of knows how to create them, actually make them. Uh, and they expect work to be kind of fun. So you're right. So here's a great question. How do we get a Generation Z and a baby boomer in the same exact room. What we try to do is, and what we try to do in a fire service, is let everybody teach each other. So as a training officer and as a lieutenant with the FDNY, I'm out there and I'm making sure that all my generations are working together. And really I'm there to kind of guide the, uh, the lecture and kind of guide the train that's going on. So for example, one of the greatest things that we do and one of the, the fun things that I try to do is I try to have, after a call, I try to have some sort of, uh, of a drill, like in the street, right? So it's, it's a perfect opportunity. Right there at the scene? Right there at the scene. So, so maybe we go to a call, maybe it was a food on the stove. You know, it's in a six-story, you know, residential building, non-fireproof. We, we get there, we go up, we find out that somebody had left the turkey in the oven a little too long, and they burnt their turkey, right? So as we come down... No cause for alarm, really. We kind of stand there and we stand outside and we look. So now I have different generations. Maybe I have the probationary member that's with me who's about 23, 24 years old. They have a real gung-ho attitude. They're probie. They really want to learn. But how are they going to learn? Who are they going to learn from? Well, the, the middle-of-the-road uh, member, right, the guy, with, guy and girl with about 15 to 25 years, they're going to be able to teach kind of what they learn, right? So the, the probationary member just learned out of the academy. They know everything that the academy has taught them and drilled into their heads. So they can regurgitate what the academy says. Academy is great. The books and the procedures that our jobs and our departments have written for us is a phenomenal tool. So they know that book inside and out. The middle of the road member, 15 to 25 year member, can stand there and can tell you, okay, well, the books say this, but... I do this, and this is why I do this, and explain to it in a great way. Then you get a much more senior member, right? Much more senior member, let's just say that member has 35 to 40 years in the fire service. Well, let me tell you something. Experience can never be overlooked. That member has the experience that the other two members do not have. So as a lieutenant, I stand there, and I let everybody kind of interject and put everything together, and then we kind of close it up at the end. This quick 20-minute drill is a phenomenal opportunity to kind of get out there and understand what's going on. You know, we're not, unfortunately, we're not getting experience. With, and, and I say unfortunately for firefighting, but fortunately for the people that we serve and protect, we're not getting the experiences. With the, um, with the integration of smoke alarms and the necessity of them, with uh, sprinkler, sprinklers uh, installed in a significant amount of buildings, especially in my area, they're extinguishing the fires before we get there. It's great for the homeowner, it's great for the occupant, and we're saving more lives, and I'm very happy for that. In terms of experience as the firefighter, we're not really getting it. So we rely on the older members' experience that they have, and it gets passed down. Right, and then that leads to a situation where you need to train more, but you don't necessarily have more time because you're going on other kinds of runs other than fires. So how do you find the time to train the 
little bit more than fundamentals that the younger guys need? So that's a phenomenal question. And what we can do with technology. So we have smartphones. Everybody has a smartphone. Every member of my firehouse has a smartphone. Everybody understands kind of how to use them. And a lot of this stuff is, stuff is very easy, right? So we can download tons of different ideas. We can use mobile group messaging apps. So it's like a group me or a WhatsApp. We can use social media apps like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we can throw things up there. So when the member is lying in bed at night, maybe he went home or he or she went home and they're lying in bed and they're looking at their phone real quick and a group me pops up or a message pops up with a link to something, they can take a look at it, a quick read on it. So maybe you're giving them something that's a two or three minute read. Now that, that member who has 40 years in a fire service is going to read that differently and understand that differently than the 25 year old and the brand new member. Because that member is going, the older member is going to understand what's going on, maybe relive the scenario in their head because maybe they recall that incident or that fire or the lessons learned in a different way and kind of get that information out. So what I do is I have a group me and I set up this group me. It's a training group me. And I just send out really quickly, maybe an article. And it's kind of discussing an incident that may have happened. Maybe it's the 20th anniversary of this incident. And hey, what did we learn from this incident? And I set it up nicely, right? I don't just take the post. That, that bothers me the most when people do that. I don't just take the link and throw it up there and hope somebody reads it. I give it a quick little paragraph or a quick little three sentences just to introduce it, right? You need something to grab. Nobody wants to read a book or a newspaper article if you don't have that grabbing. No journalist would ever have a job if they didn't have that, that opportunity to kind of grab you in, you know, the heading or whatever it might be. I want to make sure that my members look at it and say, hey, you know what? I want to read this. I want to spend the next two to three minutes of my life reading this. So now they read it and they're sitting there and maybe it's 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. It doesn't matter. It's not like a group text going out. You can mute these things. You can keep it on silent so you're not being interrupted in the middle of the night. And then maybe this 40-year member who's about 60 years old writes something very nice, very good. He sends something out there. And then the 25-year-old member uh, who's now the probie kind of writes something back and says, hey, you know what? I do remember reading about that, that incident or that fire while I was in probie school. And this is the lesson that I was taught and I, I had learned. And then the 45-year-old member, right, who's probably got 20-plus years in the fire service, can write something again and say, hey, this is something I took from it. So everybody's interjecting. Everybody's giving something. And it's a phenomenal tool that we have that a lot of departments don't, aren't really utilizing. It sounds like a great way to go about it, but how much more do you get out of the hands-on reality training than you do with with technology? So you, you can't say no to hands-on, right? Hands-on is, is, is huge for us, and we are a hands-on type of profession, right? We are, without a doubt, that's what we do. We are hands-on. We lift things up and put them down. We move heavy stuff from point A to heavy stuff to point B in pitch black, right? And that's kind of what we do, and that's the reality of it, you know? Having that, that mindset in my head of understanding that I have to physically do this is great. I want to work smarter, not harder. So what lessons do I learn? How do I learn how to move these things from this point to that point, right? How do I learn, unfortunately, from maybe a, a line of duty death? How do I understand what they did in that situation and what I can Monday morning quarterback is? It's not a bad thing to do that. Everybody likes to do that, right? So how do I learn all this stuff? Now we come to the hands-on portion, 
right? So going back to the different generational gaps that we have, for example, the baby boomer, you know, when they were probationary members and they were younger members and I taught them to put up a portable, they were taught, not I did, but they were taught to put up a portable ladder. They were taught their way and they were told this is what you do and they just did it. They didn't ask the question why. They didn't ask how. They didn't ask anything. They just did what they were told and that. That's because at that time, the question of why was because I told you to. Exactly. And, but now that those questions or those answers aren't really accepted by the generations that we have today. Right. They want to know why they're being asked to do things, how it will help or how it'll change things. Exactly. And it was also trained to fail. So you were given these baby boomers and even, you know, these Gen Xers in the beginning were given that portable ladder and they said, put it to that window. And you, you may have never done that in your life. You may have never picked up a ladder in your life, but you had to go do it. If you get hurt, if you fail, they don't care. They want you to try to do it. Then they'll teach you your way. So here's my new way or, or here's a new way to, to, to train to succeed. I said it earlier in the interview. We want to train to succeed, right? So I had a member who was not that big of a firefighter, right? I'm, I'm, I'm six foot one, I'm 220 pounds, and I'm, I'm physically fit. I can pick up a 24 foot, and I know how to do it. I also know how to do it from experience and the hands-on that I did over the years. So this member was having some difficulty getting the portable ladder off the engine and bringing it over to the building and putting it up the same way that I could do it. I understand that this member weighs about 90 pounds less is not as physically fit as I might be for my size and dragging something that heavy is kind of difficult. So instead of training this member to fail, we train this member to succeed. So the first step was in bunker pants and gloves. And that's it on a beautiful day. Let's take the ladder off. How are we going to get it off? Well, I could pick it up and, gra- and grab it. This member could not. So they took the ladder and they dropped it to one side. They took it off the railing and then they, they kind of dragged it over to, to the building. Great. They got it there. I'm fine with that. We have tons of ladders. We have so many, we have a plenty of ladders. If it breaks, we'll do, we'll take care of it. Then it's how do you raise the ladder? Well, I can raise the ladder differently and every member is different. This member was having difficulty again in just bunker pants, gloves in a nice situation with a beautiful day. That's how we started. So the next week comes and they were doing great. Next week comes, you put the jacket on, put the bunker coat on, gloves, helmet. Okay, now do it. Okay. And now it's a little harder, but they're, they're building in stages. Exactly. Next week, SCBA on. Next week, tools in their hands. Next week, we did it in the middle of the night. So every we just went in those stages, and by doing that, this member wasn't overwhelmed by, oh, my goodness, it's the middle of the night, and it's raining out, and I have tools, and what do I do? This member was like, oh, I did this yesterday. It was easy. And they understand how to do it. So again, their technique of doing it may differ from yours and mine. And everybody's technique may differ a little bit, but it's a technique that is successful and works for them. And once you can see that and help them do that hands-on, they will be a better firefighter for it. Just plain devil's advocate for a moment, I think there are going to be some people of our generation who are going to say, that's coddling them or we're, we're trying to make it too nice for them. Explain to me, if you will, why we should do it this way. What, what do they, how do they learn differently? So if, if our generation, I'm assuming we're the same generation, says this, and, and trust me, I've heard this as well, right? I assumed you had. The generation prior to us has said that we were coddled. <laughs> and that's a fact. And the generation before them. How about this? 
the generation that I lived in, we did not wear our SCBA as often as we should. We were not 100% um, sold on the fact that fire and the after effects of fire cause cancer. We understood it. We knew it was there, but we weren't 100% sold on that fact, right? So when I was a firefighter and I worked in a truck and I would do overhaul, I took my, my SCBA off. And I'm telling you that that's what happened, right? Because we did overhaul and we worked harder and, and longer that way. The members today, more and more, and I respect them 100% for doing this, they wear their SCBA. They're constantly on air. And I do it with them from the moment they enter the IDLH until the moment that they leave. So you'll have some members that look down on this. You'll have older members that say, wow, you're not working hard enough. Well, they're working smarter. They're saving for, the, for their future. They're going to survive longer. They're not going to get cancer or they're going to diminish the amounts of cancer. If they can, they're going to try to help themselves. We were never taught that way. And I, I, I kind of explained to these, these older members, maybe you should start doing it too. You know, we don't, do you really want cancer? It's silly. Like I started doing it. I, I woke up. I have a very good friend of mine that, that goes around teaching about cancer and really opened up a whole world for me. And I, I do everything that I can to protect myself because I want to live a very long life and walk my daughters down the aisle. And I want to see my grandkids. So I'm doing what they are doing. And the naysayers are becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. So I think at a certain point, they're going to be kind of pushed out. And everything's just going to be the norm. All right, Steve Ryan, thanks for giving us some ideas on how to train for different generations. I appreciate you joining me today on Code 3. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for the, uh, for the invite. What did you think of Steve's suggestions? Is this how you train? You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash butter. Uh, why not? There's links to more info there as well, so check it out. It's still coming up on Christmas, so it's still time to order Code 3 apparel. If you get something out of Code 3, you can help keep it going while showing your support to the public. Just go over to Code3Podcast.com shop to place your order. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.